This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Tuesday, January 23rd. I'm Chris Hardy. For today's episode, we're going a little deeper than usual into a story that is well worth our attention. We're looking at how the Nisenan tribe of the California Central Valley are fighting to regain recognition from the federal government. Hope you like it. But first, the headlines. The federal government shutdown began on Friday, but the real impact was felt Monday when hundreds of thousands of federal workers remained at home after Democrats and Republicans failed to agree on a temporary spending bill. One year after President Donald Trump's inauguration, people across the country grabbed their signs and poured into the streets to protest in the second annual Women's March. But the main event will be a rally and get out the vote action in a Las Vegas stadium on Sunday called Power to the Polls. And a Facebook executive admitted that the global social network might be bad for democracy. Commenting on Russian meddling in the U.S. election, the rise of fake news, and the spread of political harassment, Facebook's civic engagement product manager wrote, quote, I wish I could guarantee that the positives are destined to outweigh the negatives, but I can't. And now here's the news you won't get anywhere else. Today, only 140 Nisanan Native Americans live in Nevada City, California. But some tribal elders estimate that in the 1850s, there were 7,000 Nisanan living there. For the tribe, regaining recognition both federally and culturally has become their primary mission. But it's a difficult task after years of trying to evade oppression and erasure at the hands of the U.S. government. Nevertheless, the Nisanan tribe has persevered, really against all odds. And now they plan to lobby Congress on behalf of their cause. Here's Vice's Ankita Rao speaking with journalist Avery White on the story. The Nisenan tribe has struggled with visibility and being represented in this country for centuries now. How did you find out about this community? So I was in Northern California in a region called the Emerald Triangle, working on a piece about the Green Rush with a writer named Brooke Sauvage. Uh, We were doing a piece for Vice. And the Green Rush is this boom that's happened around the cannabis agriculture industry that has corresponded directly with the expansion of cannabis legality in California and around the country at large. And so you have tens of thousands of people showing up in Northern California right now and for the last decade to get a piece of the pie, which has created a cast of characters and a lot of complexities that resemble strikingly Uh, the complexities of the gold rush that took place in that very region in the 1850s, late 1840s. So as we started digging around in Nevada City for this story on the Green Rush, we started asking questions about, 
you know, the history of Nevada City and the history of the gold rush, who was there before the gold rush? And we came to find out that there was a Native American tribe uh, that was triple the population of contemporary Nevada City and had a very complex society. And that society was the Nisenan tribe. What happened to the Nisenan tribe? They had their own language and culture till now when there's less than 200 of them. So the discovery of gold was in 1848. And just to give you some perspective on what an impact the gold rush had on the whole world, it's estimated 300,000 people showed up to Northern California in search of gold. And so San Francisco was just a small town in the 1840s, and it turned into what it is now. Current San Francisco is at a scale that would have been impossible without the gold rush, arguably. And so you have this tremendous influx of people and cultures. You had people from China, Hawaii, the East Coast of the United States, Mexico, of course, and South America showing up to this land at great risk to come. Uh, The Oregon Trail is really a famous example of how risky it was for these people to show up to this area. And so, you know, you end up with a lot of tension when people from all over the world show up with a lot on the line. And uh, the promise of riches and uh, wealth twists the energy oftentimes towards violence and corruption. And so the people that showed up for gold began massacring the native tribes, stealing land, mining in unethical ways that devastated the environment, which in turn devastated the Nisenan's ability to fish, and their agriculture was influenced by this. Their hunting was influenced by this. Their whole way of life was turned upside down by this stunning influx of outsiders. Uh, Especially in the beginning of the gold rush, there really was a free-for-the-taking mentality where the law hadn't caught up with what was happening. And so you could just show up and take whatever you wanted through force oftentimes. And then towards the middle of the gold rush, around the 1850s, mid-1850s, there began to be taxes for foreigners, and it quickly became what is now the case in uh, the Green Rush, which is to have access to that wealth, you had to have power and wealth already. So, for example, in the Green Rush, you have corporations now buying land at such a scale that small growers can't compete. It was the same with the Gold Rush. And so Native Americans in this region, particularly the Nisenan, were traumatized and had everything taken from them. Their whole lives were disrupted. Every aspect of their life was disrupted. And the violence and the threat of murder forced these people to go into the shadows. The few that survived were forced to hide. And so, you know, all the way up until just a few generations back, there were Nisanon put into boarding schools that prohibited them from speaking their own language, gave them Christian names, cut their hair, prohibited them from practicing any of their cultural traditions, dancing, music, and and forced them into compliance with Western culture. And so you have 
not too far back, the memory, I mean, these these people that were in these boarding schools, many of them are still alive. So that trauma is still very much alive. Starting in the mid-20th century, the U.S. government started to reinstate some of the Native American tribes that they had stripped of their agency, but the Nisanan were not among these tribes. And from what you've described, you know, having gone through that trauma, they're still trying to get back in touch with, you know, what was lost and find that representation. So what does that process look like now? So 87% of the Nisanan people are currently below California's poverty line. You can imagine how devastating that fact alone is. It's just a constant state of stress to be poor in the United States. And so providing basic support, and it's arguable that the amount of support that we're giving Native American tribes that have been recognized is nowhere near as much as they deserve. So a lot of the people that I spoke with let me know that it's not that they believe that recognition by the government is going to immediately resolve all of this pain and the problems that have come from generations of trauma, but it will help steady the ship as they rebuild their presence in town, their sense of safety and community, and move forward into their lives in contemporary American society. And it's it's just straightforward. They were there for thousands of years before we arrived, before the gold rush. It's their land. And to have the government say, not only are we not going to give you what's rightfully yours, we're not even going to acknowledge that you're alive. We're going to say that your tribe is extinct is just such a horrific violation of justice. So I met with Shelly Covert, who's the tribal council secretary, and she's really the one pioneering this movement of, as she puts it, unerasing the Nisanan tribe and forging visibility after generations of being invisible to the state of California and the American government at large. Shelly is working to reinstate tribal recognition by the American government through Congress. She's also hosting uh, Nisanon language classes once a week. She's hosting heritage preservation events in town. And she's petitioning the local museum to include Nisanon history in the museum, which is crazy to say out loud that the Nevada City uh, Museum failed to include the Nisanon in an appropriate manner, considering Nisanon were there for thousands of years. And she's trying to help usher her community out of the shadows. She talked a lot about how challenging that was. Her community members have learned that it's more comfortable and safer to just hide. What has it been like for someone like Shelley to grow up in this community and then work on these issues? So Nevada City has anchored itself to the gold rush as this glorified moment in history. So much, in fact, that visitors and those who don't know would easily assume that the town started with the gold rush. 
Everything from laundromats to bars to high schools are themed after the gold rush. And so as a as a Nissanon moving through this society with a very vivid understanding of how traumatic the gold rush really was for their people, it's a daily trauma. Just going to wash your clothes, you have to look at gold rush paraphernalia. And so Shelly Covert talked a lot about that with me. You know, her high school mascot was the gold diggers. And so as a young woman growing up in a predominantly white society, Nevada City has a very low diversity rate. I think it's 5% minority, 95% white people in Nevada City now. She had a lot of anxiety about being a young Native American woman in a culture that didn't acknowledge her pain. It was often excruciating for a lot of the people I talked with. You know, the pain was very real and very contemporary for them concerning the gold rush. So Richard Johnson, who I also spent, we spent a lot of time with, Brooke and I, he is doing a lot of important work, just as Shelley is, with building a curriculum that actually includes Nissanon history and Nissanon culture for schools in the region. And he talked a lot about how challenging it was to feel safe enough to come out of the shadows after, you know, as a young boy watching his parents get beat in the streets for being Native American, being on the receiving end of hate crimes, and having the government come and take him away from his parents from being Native American and given to white parents. There was a lot of grieving that I witnessed for the mere fact that many of these people, they don't have any grasp on Nisanon language because it was taken from them. And so, um, you know, the real challenge is reconnecting with a culture that was so violently taken from you with a lack of resources and a lack of history to dive into. You've done a lot of work covering Indigenous communities across the states, including Standing Rock, and being somewhat of an outsider and walking in, what is that experience like? And what is the relationship you have with the people you talk to? Well, Standing Rock taught me a lot about how to move through a space that I'm a guest in, that I have the privilege to be in, but that I'm not entitled to. And, you know, as a photographer, I'm a portrait photographer and a street photographer and a journalist. Uh, My angst is always that there be um, consent and that I'm not taking from somebody for my own benefit. My own creative fulfillment is not reliant on stealing from somebody, but rather it's anchored and rooted safely in consent and hopefully collaboration. And so, particularly with Native American people, if I'm there to photograph, I'm there as an ally, first and foremost, as an activist. And journalism is my conduit for activism. That's a method of activism for me. But I will never overstep that boundary of telling someone else's story. I only want to help them tell their own story and amplify that story Shelly and I talked a lot about this because she wanted desperately for her people to be photographed because she felt that her 
culture was so fragile. And, you know, she talks about every time someone dies, it's just such a blow because there's only 148 of them. And there's really nothing on the Nissan on online. It's wild. I mean, you really can't find anything about them. And so, you know, I know it was really important to them to have these photos, but it was also a really delicate and often uncomfortable process for them to even be photographed. I spent a whole week photographing them over and over again, making sure they liked their photos, talking to them about my intentions, learning what they want, you know, how they want to be represented and why, what is and isn't okay. I mean, you know, there are a lot of dance ceremonies that I witnessed that aren't all right to photograph. Some are, some aren't. So really taking the time to learn what is for the public and what is only for them. There seems to be an inherent tension in providing visibility for a community that has been invisible for so long. What is that like for the community members who are photographed? You know, the challenge was to help these people feel comfortable enough to be seen again. So you had people who wanted to be photographed, but that were really struggling through the process. Um, So the challenge as as an activist and an artist for me is to create a safe environment for the people that I'm photographing and ensure that it doesn't further their trauma, but that it instead helps them heal that trauma. One of the most striking photos in your piece is this one of this baby, Natalie, and she's the youngest person to ever learn the Nisanan language in this generation. So we've talked a lot about trauma, but did you also feel this sense of hope for the future of this community? Yeah, there's this beautiful story that Shelley shared with me about her mother learning the Nisanan language from her daughter. So it was a grandchild teaching her grandma this language. And so this younger generation is really carrying the torch forward with the support and love and strength of the generations before them that have really carried the burden of this moment in history. But the younger generation has an expansive opportunity to reignite a fire and a strength within their community that's I see is very likely and it's already happening and it's it's a really um, inspiring energy that's gathering within the Nisanon right now. To read Avery's full article, go to vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. For more news and culture, check out vice.com. And tune in again tomorrow for another Vice Guide to Right Now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. DLN's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.